Hello everyone, welcome to the Juridica podcast series. Uh, in this podcast series, we were talking about startup law. In the previous episodes, we'll talk about the, how you start your own company, how you start your own venture, and what is an investment for a startup, how the investment process goes briefly. And in this episode, we will talk about the details of, on the investment process, what is the important points that entrepreneurs and startups as well as the investors need to be considered during the process. I have a Tim with me and he's expert in startup law. Hi Tim. Hi. And we will continue to talk about the investment process. So previously we talked about shareholders agreement as well as invest- investment agreement uh, for a startup. During the investment process, one of the main ki- main negotiation point is the terms in the shareholders agreement. What is the important um, what is the important point in this investment process uh, that need to be considered in shareholders agreement in the in investor perspective as well as the entrepreneur perspective? So the shareholders agreement is an agreement between the shareholder and generally speaking also with the company itself. It's basically a layer on top of the agreement or the, the articles of association or the statute of the company itself. That articles of association to the articles actually already set out some of the elements that you see also back in the shells agreement, which is that there's a board of directors, that they have certain rights, that there are shares and which kind of shares. Sometimes there's some other kind of supervisory board, etc. How are we going to deal with uh, transferring shares, etc.? So that's the the mechanics are set out in that. The shares agreement on top of that arranges um, uh, elements of governance, so control and of economics. And each side of the table has a different interest, if you want, on how that should be arranged. Starting from the investment, sorry, from the perspective of the company and the founders. Founders basically just want to run the business and be left alone, <laughs> but. We understand that the company needed money and that they had to seek somebody else to fund them. So, and they understand that the party wants something in return for that. That return is that they want to be able to protect the investment and sometimes go further than that. Be able to basically steer the company in the direction that they want. So that's talking about control rights and you can understand how that is expressed. So that can either be that there are certain elements that have to be approved. So if the board consists of the founders themselves, then then sometimes they have to go back to the shareholders and ask for approval if they want to buy a machine that's worth, I don't know, 100,000 euros, something significant, or if they want to enter into a significant type of licensing agreement with this and this client, or if they want to expand to Italy. So there should be a balance between what the board and the founders themselves should be able to do and further develop the company because they are the driving force behind the company and the interest of the investors to feel protected. That's on the control side. Some of the investors actually want to have a board seat. Some only want to have a supervisory role that can actually be in the form of a supervisory board. And then we have a system where you have a separate board, which is a supervisory board and they control the management board next to the general meeting of shareholders. And something in between is that you have a board observer where the investor who is generally more at a distance, so for example, an American investor, does want more information than only one or twice a year in the general meeting, but they want to be able to basically listen to what the board is discussing so they can listen in as a board observer. And in practice, obviously, they can discuss together and see how they can progress the company. Then the economics. So the founders have founded the company, but needed money to do so. Um, so they diluted. We talked about it in the last episode. If the company eventually is sold, then you get share, you get basically your purchase price for your shares, right? So you get revenue on your shares. 
And the more, relatively more shares you have, obviously the larger chunk of the purchase price comes to you. The more investors there are, you generally dilute more, the the smaller your chunk as a founder will be. So that's something that obviously is a result of the investments. The investors are taking a leap of faith because they're putting money in the company. They don't run the company. They allow you to do it and they hope that you do it well and they steer you a little bit. We talked about that just now. But in the end, it's out of their hands, right? They're not the director executing the, the, the company. So they want some control rights, but in the end, they also want compensation for the risk that they are taking. The compensation obviously is the return on their shares should they or the company entirely be sold uh, so should they sell their shares or the company in itself will be sold entirely if they sell their company the, the company shares for a big uh, high price than they bought then they have a return so the higher the return the more interesting obviously it is for for investors they can wait until the company is value very high and then sell or sell together with everybody else but they tend to want to have some extra measures to increase their earnings so for example what they want to negotiate is what we call a liquidation preference which means that when the company is sold first the original amount that was invested by the investor is being paid to that investor and then from the remaining of the returns everybody else will be paid so that's either the original amount being invested maybe one and a half that amount maybe that's it what they will be getting so they have one and a half return or they do that and they still participate in the rest of the of the earnings. If you have multiple investors, they can have their own liquidation preference. So you stack all the liquidation preferences. So the first one gets his original investment amount, then the other one gets his original investment amount, then the third one, and then everybody else, including or excluding those investors, get their money back as well. So that's one of the mechanisms where these investors make sure that they get sufficient returns. Yeah. So uh, during the investment process, there are some, uh, especially lawyers always like to, like in the negotiation process, they carry out in behalf of the clients. There's some rights and there's some obligations in the agreement that can be tricky or for like non-legal perspective to be understand what's the meaning, real meaning of it, such as like tag along, drag along, and are right not to dilute it in the shares and everything. So what are the, what are these like trick points that need to be considered during the, the, during this process and the investment process? Right. So one of the basic understandings of, of investment in startups is that we talk about different type of shares. And I think that's good to understand. We have, and, and when you're talking about series rounds, then all of a sudden we're start talking about Preferred shares, so pref shares. Pref shares in the meaning of startup investment means shares with additional rights compared to ordinary shares. And those rights can differ a little bit, but you've got a set of different rights that you generally see. And depending on the, I would say the aggressiveness of the investor, what they want, um, they put that in the entire list or, or some of them. So it, again, it comes back to either control rights or economic rights. Uh, the preferred shareholders generally want certain approval rights like the we call it the laundry list it's literally a list of all types of decisions that the founders the entrepreneurs have to go back to the preferred shareholders and say is it okay if we do that and from an operational point of view that's a nag right (laughs) you want to run the company that's that's pretty easy to understand for the founders where they feel that they need enough freedom 
to operate. Yeah. The economic rights generally are more complicated. You um, already touched on the examples um, anti-dilution. So anti-dilution, we talked about dilution. So every share issue that happens means that the existing shareholders lose a little bit of their stake because the new shareholders t- fills up that stake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a anti-dilution clause tends to protect the holder or the, the beneficiary of that, that clause, generally the preferred shareholder, against dilution. So where because of an issuance, everybody of the existing shareholder should dilute. If a certain shareholder has an anti-dilution protection, then that one doesn't. The general rule is that if you issue shares at what we call a down round, which means that the shares are being issued at a lower price than the previous round in which that investor invested, so the preferred shareholder invested against IANAP, 10 euros per share and then in the next round it didn't go too well with the company but they still need funding so they issue another round of shares against eight euros then the original investor says well why am i issuing allowing to be issued new shares to a new guy which causes me to dilute well he's actually paying less than i do yeah. i want protection so he negotiated in the beginning anti-delusion protection and says then Either I want to be compensated up to the level that I should have originally paid eight euros per share or somewhere in between. And these clauses contain mathematical formulas, um, talking about the so-called full wretched or for example, the weighted average formulas. Um, and these can be pretty complicated, at least for lawyers. <laughs> so if yeah. you're, you should be good at math to, to understand what's going on. But the idea behind this is that you protect the that investor against that. If you have a very aggressive investor, they want anti-illusion even if it's not a down round. So regardless of the price that's going to happen afterwards, they want to keep their stake. So if I have 5% now, regardless of the next investment, I want 5% in that round too. Yeah. That's super aggressive because that everybody eludes and you don't, regardless of what's going to happen. That That's not common. Yeah. And that may also others. cloak the way of new investors coming because you may kind of like, uh, in, for you keeping the same percentage, this actually uh, limits the possibility of new investors. Definitely. Coming. Yeah, it's not attractive to new investors because they are being confronted with somebody who's just stubborn (laughs) um, and will do everything to keep its stake whilst not being willing to put in additional money themselves, right? Because obviously you can retain your stake. We have something which is in English called a pro rata stake. In the Netherlands, we have something like that standard in our uh, our law uh, and which is recorded generally speaking in the article association that is called um, uh, the right of preemptive right. So you can, when there's an issuance of shares, then pro rata, you can basically participate in that new round uh, to maintain your stake. If you have five, then you can participate up to that you keep your 5% as well. But then you have to pay yeah. against that round. If you don't want to pay against it for that round, you still want to have your stake, then the new investor says, why, why is that? Everybody needs to bleed when <laughs> somebody needs to bleed. Why don't you? So that really, that you shouldn't accept that as a startup. And investors should not want that. If you have a anti-illusion, an ordinary one, um, then it still sets a standard for new investors because basically they say, well, that's nice for that preferred shareholder that they have that. We're going to be a preferred shareholder too, and we want that right too. So you're going to increase the group that will be protected against dilution um, and it will all be to the detriment of the others, meaning the founders, right? And they will always be left behind. So the purpose of the lawyer is to protect the founders, at least if they represent the founders, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> to push back on that as much as they can. Yeah. 
Yeah, some also like there are some conditions that uh, let's say that the company is on the like on the decision making process. For, for example, there's an offer in the table and uh, the investors don't want to sell, but there are some conditions that there are some rights of investors in the shareholders agreement that they may they may have financial interest to sell the company. Yes. So they may actually tagging those other shares Dragon. with them and dragging them and just force them to do the actions they required they wanted which is uh, like an interesting mechanism it's an interesting me- mechanism the idea of most investors at a later stage most of them are actually funds right yeah. they're not individual investors anymore they're funds that that spend money on behalf of their own limited party yeah. investors um, and they really need to show return and they have an investment window and like in the next five years, they have a, a chunk of money within a fund which they can invest in different parties. And then after five years, it's time to start paying out to their own investors. So what they need is to have the right to basically exit themselves, right? They need to have the right to step out, to sell their shares, because only if you sell shares, generally in a startup, there's a return. Because technically shares come with the right or the possibility of dividend, yeah. but startups don't pay out dividends. They put all the money back into the company to further develop. So if you're putting your money in to get dividend in the startup, then you're betting it's on the wrong. It's a dream, basically. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> not going to happen. So what you want is you put money in the startup and after a certain time, you want to be able to sell those shares, sell it at a higher price than you put it in. And that's the return that the fund or the investor is going to pay back to his own investor. The thing is that a company in which you invest for 20% is may be interesting for another investor to also invest for 20%. But if a strategic company comes along that is interested in that startup, they don't care about 20%. They want the entire company. And actually, most of the time, the larger the stake and actually 100% of the shares, if you can sell that, that maximizes the return. Because if you have 100% of the shares in your own hands, then you control the entire company. You don't have to deal with anyone else. Right? So... 100% 100% sale of shares is always the best return. And that's where this drag along ride comes in. So those investors want to have the ride. They will always try, but you gotta <laughs> push them back a little bit. Um, that they will be the ones to pull or to drag everybody else with them if they find a buyer for those shares that is interesting enough to that investor. And that standard or that what's interesting for that investor may not be interesting enough for everybody else, right? So that's where the tension comes in with a drag along. But if the drag along says, look, if the valuation is at least X amount or after five years and at least 20% of the shareholders are in agreement with me, then we can drag everybody else with us and sell it to the highest bidder or at least that bidder that we find at that point. Yeah, that's that's an interesting mechanism because sometimes in these situations, as an entrepreneur, maybe they're not aware of the conclu- like the possible outcome of that uh, term. But when the time comes, it, it may actually like finish the that the venture itself and take the others of the entrepreneurs, which is I think need to be really considered during the during the negotiation process. And I think that that's one of the key points that law that you need a lawyer to explain it. Why this why this right is exist and what is the practical conclusion of this right? Startups are often founded by people who want to make their company the greatest company in the world, yeah. be the next Facebook or whatever you want, um, and become the new standard of whatever they're delivering. What often happens, often at least, often enough, is that a company has developed a certain technology which is very interesting to a larger existing 
I would say ordinary company. Um, they didn't do the research. They had their R and D, but they were not clever enough to invent this fantastic idea. Yeah. So they think of just buying it from the startup and they don't buy it from the startup. They buy the startup for doing so. Yeah. So that strategic exit, if you want, that's where the company is entirely bought by a strategic partner. What then often happens indeed, what you said is that a company in itself vanishes because it becomes part of this multinational and it doesn't get the attention anymore that you would have hoped, which you at least had at the time when you were independent. And you get a lot of disappointed founders that feel their company and their product being basically ignored or not getting, well, basically attention anymore that they would like to have. So that's, that's one of the implications of a drag along because the interest of you as a founder are not the same then it's nice to get all the money right <laughs> to yeah. be clear if you're being bought if you if your shares are being sold against your will because there's a drag along road you do still get a lot of money hopefully anyway yeah. from that sale so you can start something else or whatsoever but maybe at that point you were not ready yet yeah. to sell it you still wanted to grow or you do wanted to do something else and now you're being confronted with this right so giving out the rights of a drag along to an investor is a major step. Um, most investors still want it. And it's also understandable from the investment point of view, right? Yeah. Because they need returns. They're not in there for forever. It's not yeah. free money. <laughs> so, but the question is how long should they remain? Should it already be within three years or maybe after 10 years, right? And then after 10 years, well, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah that's, that's true. Actually, I just want to uh, take this, actually we were talking about a little bit on the exit side, like selling side. So there's like a end conclusion for every startup. There's three main, the conclusion of a startup. First, we actually kind of uh, talk about it, the going out of business, I mean, like going bankrupt basically. Yes. And the second is exit, which is buyout. And there's a third option, which is kind of like every startup's dream, maybe every entrepreneur's dream, going public, which is IPO. Do you can you explain like what is the like what is the difference between IPO and exit? How is the outcomes and how is the process goes for a startup in these three conclusions? Right. To start with the, the first one that you mentioned, obviously bankruptcy scenario is something that, that it, it literally means that the company goes past press. So it yeah. means that your company was not able to pay its debts anymore and apparently did not make enough money itself or did not get enough funding. So nobody believed anymore in that company to survive. And then, well, mission failed. Yeah. Um, luck, uh, most startups we know don't make it after, I don't know, so many years, like with say five years, most of them and far most of them still around 60, 70% or something don't exist anymore. Luckily, not all of them go bankrupt, right? Yeah. So there are a few of them actually do. Most of them just stop operations and yeah. go, I don't know, work with a proper company, yeah. <laughs> get a, get an ordinary wage and yeah. be happy with wife and children and all that stuff, right? So, because it's hard work, it's not yeah. easy. So most of the startups uh, 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 don't make it. If you make it and you even become successful, then you may be able to either sell a part of your company, maybe entire company, or at least we talked about some of the shareholders or of the shareholders sell the shares. In the yeah. company. And if a minority stake, like say, for example, 30% of the shares are being sold to somebody else, then that's, it's an exit for them individually. They can sell and get the returns of their shares, but the rest of the company doesn't really notice it. So we're talking about an exit. Then we're talking generally people uh, speaking, we're talking about sale of 
at least 50%, right? Yeah. Because then you lose control. Yeah. Um, that sale of such a large stake, and then hopefully actually 90 or even 100% of the shares, that's just a M&A transaction. Yeah. We're selling the shares of a company. Uh, the only complication to that is there's a lot of other investors on it, and they also need to sell their shares, but basically they are combined in one M&A transaction. An IPO is not a sale of shares. It is a listing of shares. So what it's actually originally speaking, a mean of funding. You make your shares, which normally are not freely transferable. You have to negotiate one-on-one and you have to reach an agreement. Again, go to the notary, all that stuff. Um, You make your shares publicly tradable. So what you do, you bring them to the stock exchange by listing them. It makes it easier and it makes it available to other investors that also trade on that stock exchange saying look i want to buy those shares and then they basically bought their shares right that's you just your use your app um and that makes it easier to trade the actual ipo means the first time that they bring it to the market and you do that by issuing shares or selling your shares to people who are trading on that market and that gives you a return Right, because yeah. either you're selling your shares as an existing shareholder on that market, then that shareholder gets their money back. He loses the shares, he gets the money back. Or the company issues new shares on the um, uh, on the public market, and then those for those shares, people have to pay, and that money flows back to the company, and then it becomes a funding mechanism. Once those shares are listed, they can be sold easily. So often you see an IPO being constructed as issuance of new shares, listing all the other shares, and then let everybody do whatever they want with their shares. Yeah. Because it becomes a different party. You become tr- publicly traded. You don't have the connection anymore with your investors because they're, it could be anyone. Tomorrow, your investor can sell his shares to somebody else and then all of a sudden you have a new investor. So this entire relationship and this entire dynamic changes. So it, it makes an entire different company. And the traditional closed startup mechanisms, they fall away. No shareholders agreement, you know, all these different things, they don't, they're not relevant anymore. And I think like the secrecy and that you need to keep in the inside the company, such as like shareholders agreement, you know, that some of the stuff you keep only in between the shareholders, mm-hmm. those are gone because gone. you are now publicly trading. So you can't keep some things. Uh, of course you can keep some stuff in the board level or with, I don't know, management level, but most of the stuff need to be transparent because yes. the, the publicly trans, uh, traded shares uh, are the common people are buying it and they need to know that if the company is healthy or the future is good or the financials are good or not. Yeah, if you go to the real big uh, stock exchanges, then there are transparency requirements that require the company to disclose a lot of information. Um, and your stock will actually drop if you don't do, right? Because yeah. the investors will look at the company's value, they make an estimation that determines the, value, the, the, the price development of that stock. Um, you have smaller, I would say, stock exchanges where, which are not as public as, as, as the, um, uh, the big stock exchanges. And they have less transparency requirements, but they're still listed. Uh, you still become a listed company. So the, the relationship with the investor will still change, uh, but it allows at least... <laughs> It allows you at least to to get some kind of a relationship with some of the investors that are in there for a longer period. Although loyalty it may be short term because when the stock prices are up, then they will still be forced to sell. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But like, I think for a startup, as like an end story for a startup, it's kind of like IP is always the like the the highest best scenario maybe. But sometimes the investors, the, the entrepreneurs feel like. They want to they want to like jump off the ship earlier or the entrepreneurs or the 
investors sometimes. But yeah, uh, I think IPO is the the best scenario possible for a startup. At least let's let it say the, uh, there are some exceptions, but like generally they. I, I would like never them. say best. I would say it's a a way at least also for investors to make it. I would say relatively easy to sell their shares because they don't have to find buyers anymore. Right. If you have a close company and you want to buy your sh- sell your shares, then the either the other shareholders will buy your shares, or you have to find somebody else. If you are listed, then you just offer them on the market, and hopefully the market works well and the prices are good enough, then they will just be bought. And that's that's the reason why it's interesting and easy for the uh, for the investors. For the company itself, there there should never be a goal listing your company that's an it should be a means to an end and again if your interest is growing your company then being sold is generally not (laughs) uh, the best way forward uh you would like to keep a control on that and be affiliated with that and you lose that when the company yeah yeah with that i think we can end our series we touched upon the journey of startups from the beginning uh, until the end the possible end of a startup we go through their uh, establishment through their investment process, through their later stage investment process and the negotiations and everything. With that, we conclude our, uh, this series in the Juridica podcast series. Uh, thank you, Tim, for giving, have, uh, insight, opinion and, uh, comments on the startup law. My and pleasure. see you on the next one. Great. Thank you.